you, everyone, for joining us on the Amarillo Pioneers Live in West Texas podcast today. And we are excited to be speaking to Trey Martinez-Fisher. He is a state representative for House District 116 here in the great state of Texas. And he is one of the House Democrats who broke quorum uh, earlier this month in protest of certain bills uh, that critics say would make it harder for many Texans to vote. And we are excited to get to talk to him about all of that. Before we get into it, um, State Representative Fisher, we appreciate you being with us. And uh, how are you today, sir? You know what? I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you probably caught up somewhere in the news that somewhere along this journey, I was, uh, I picked up uh, a COVID uh, positive test. And so I've been quarantined for a few days and, you know, I've had nothing but, you know, mild symptoms. And so, I mean, I know we we're going to talk about the quorum break, but Definitely, let me put a PSA in to let folks know that those uh, those vaccinations uh, they work. Uh, I've I've talked to a lot of of my colleagues who had COVID with you know when they didn't have a vaccine, and my experience and their experience has been completely different. And so uh, you know with, with with that COVID variant on the rise in Texas, I think it's important that people really take the time to go out and get vaccinated. Uh, so, what specifically on that? On that point, um, would you tell Texans who are still concerned about the vaccine? I believe the statistic is 99.5% of all COVID deaths in Texas were unvaccinated individuals. And so that's what I would say. I mean, I think there's there's no argument around that. Um, and, and so, you know, this is obviously not everybody's choice. This isn't my choice. Uh, I... Uh, when I tested positive for COVID, I would have never known it. I felt fantastic. I had worked out that morning. I had a pretty busy work session at my desk. Uh, and, I w- and I only tested because I was going to meet with some folks in a, in a conference room. And we typically rapid test before we ever have these group meetings. And then and only then did I realize I was positive. So that's how, that's how minor my symptoms are compared to people who are in the ICU, who are on ventilators, and for those folks who even lost their lives. I mean, so so that's, if, if, if nothing else can appeal to you, I think that statistic of, of, of the folks who are dying are the ones who are, who are not vaccinated. Absolutely. Well, let's get into the quorum break, because I know uh, that's the story many Texans are following right now. And by the way, we wish you a quick recovery on um, your positive uh, case of COVID. But on the quorum break, um, you know, this has been a story that people have been following nationally now, and a lot of people, a lot of Texans may not really understand how this quorum break took place. They may just think, well, you know, Texas Democrats left the state and, um, you know, held up the session, as some people might say. So um, can you just take a moment and explain how did this quorum break uh, come together? Why did House Democrats decide this was the move that needed to be uh, made on these bills? And um, what's the next step forward for House Democrats? No, that's an excellent question. So, you know, for a historical perspective, this is this has been the fifth time in the history of of the Texas legislature uh, has there ever you know has there been a quorum break, right? So this doesn't happen all the time. So five times in our entire state's history, uh, and and the the provision or the rule that allows for it is embedded in our Texas constitution. So I often interview on, you know, TV and I have a Republican colleague of mine, you know, telling me that 
<clears throat> you know, that, that they have a problem with me leaving, well, I tell them that their fight is with the Texas Constitution. If, if they don't want to have a quorum requirement, well, they need to, you know, they need to take that page out of our Texas Constitution because otherwise Constitution says you have to have two thirds present before you can work. And so in the House, that's 100. Uh, and with these voter suppression uh, legislation that's been coming through both in the regular session, the special session, this is a very systemic attempt to, to silence voices uh, and take away somebody or limit somebody's constitutional right. And looking at this from a national perspective, we have seen this movement in Georgia and in Florida and in Arizona and Iowa and in and, and Michigan. And so make no mistake, there appears to be this sort of cookie cut proposal that is traveling the country and it's restricting the opportunity to vote. And so I'll, I'll give you some real examples in Texas. What, what this proposal would have done is it, it would, for instance, it would prohibit your, your, your county commissioner's court from authorizing the elections administrator in your county to send out a mail ballot application uh, for folks who are eligible to vote by mail. So uh, in this last election in my home county of, of Bear County, where San Antonio, Texas is, our commissioner's court authorized the election office to send everybody over the age of 65, doesn't matter who you vote for, as long as you were over the age of 65, you got a mail ballot application so that you didn't have to worry about voting during a pandemic. And these proposals in the special session would prohibit that uh, for no, no real reason other than they would just want to prohibit that. Uh, other provisions in this bill are, 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 are pretty, you know, pretty scary. We've always had poll watchers involved in the election process. Uh, there was new language added that would allow a poll watcher to have access to the actual voting floor where you cast your ballot. And then the language in the law is so specific that that poll watcher can be close enough to hear you or to see what you're doing. So in other words, they can watch you touch the screen as you vote. And I sort of think about the time when I was a kid, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 51, but when I was a kid, I used to go with my parents to vote and they would go into that booth and close the curtain and then they would vote. Uh, we've now come to a time where folks in Austin or Republicans that are in charge think it's okay for, for a partisan poll watcher to look over my shoulder as I touch a screen making my voter selections. I, I, I don't know what policy rationale that is other than an intent to, to intimidate and harass a voter. Uh, and, and so, you know, quite specifically, if you think about all those, uh, all of those uh, uh, insurrectionists that, that raided our United States Capitol back in January, those folks could be the partisan poll watchers standing in your election uh, facility watching you vote. And so I think we need to be very careful. So when Republicans made it clear they didn't want to negotiate, when they made it clear that uh, they weren't open to a pragmatic discussion, everything was rejected on party lines, <clears throat> they, they, they moved this committee process very quickly. Uh, when, when it was clear to us that the legislative process was not being followed under the normal protocols of the legislature, we knew that we had very limited options uh, and leaving was the ultimate option. And that's what we did. And, and we flew here to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, so that we can put ourselves squarely in the national debate uh, as the U.S. Congress is considering a, a, a national voting standard uh, for all of the country. 
Excellent. Well, I know that uh, House Democrats have had several meetings over the past couple of weeks. You mentioned that a moment ago. Can you tell me about some of your meetings um, that you've been a part of and what the reception has been like uh, to your cause in Washington? And just, just to give you some flavor, uh, in, the, in the first 27 hours that uh, we were in Washington, D.C., uh, our group of 50-plus uh, hardworking men and women in the Democratic caucus had at least a half dozen individual meetings with U.S. senators, had a private nearly one-hour meeting with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and then had an unscheduled 90-minute visit with the Vice President of the United States. And that's the first 27 hours. And I can tell you, that doesn't really happen in Washington, D.C. You could spend two weeks up here and not have that level uh, of access. Uh, people are eager to talk to us. They want to know our story. They want to know, you know, uh, what is happening in the state of Texas. When you compare the Texas election law, I mean, we, we all live in Texas and we've kind of been voting by these rules, uh, whether we like them or not. You start comparing the way we vote in Texas to other places. I'll tell you in a, in a meeting that I had with Senator Manchin's top staff, uh, they were floored to, to see just how hard it is to vote in Texas. And let me give you some examples. So if you live in West Virginia and you're a shift worker, say you're a nurse or, or, a, or a firefighter, uh, and you can't leave your shift to go vote, you get to vote by mail. You can't do that in Texas. If you live in West Virginia and you were afraid to go out and vote in person because of COVID, um, you could vote by mail. We couldn't do that in Texas. If you live in West Virginia, if you had committed a DWI, say you were in the county jail on a misdemeanor uh, and you wanted to vote in the election, they would mail you your ballot to the county jail. Can't do that in Texas. Now, I'm not advocating go out and get a DWI, but what I'm saying is that they have almost a no-excuse absentee ballot program to make sure that anybody who wants to vote, if they're eligible, can get that opportunity to vote. And when folks realize just how crazy the rules are in Texas, then they begin to understand just why we need a national fix. And so for some of these states, I mean, you know, West Virginia being one of them, Senator Manchin may not feel like they need a big change because everything's pretty good in West Virginia. But when he hears about the Texas story, well, that certainly changes his perspective. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it's a series of those meetings where we're telling our story that we begin to, to really elevate this discussion and justify just why we need a federal voting standard. Um, so what would you say to the Republicans who are supporting these bills uh, that, you know, the criticism is that it makes it harder for Texans to vote? What would you say to those Republicans to convince them that this is not the right bill for them to support at this time? Um, and beyond that, uh, what kinds of changes to the voting system in Texas do you think need to be made to make it easier for Texans to vote? Well, you know, I, I, in a in a in an ideal world, you know, I think you could you could actually have that conversation. But I mean, we're really talking about politics at the end of this day. Uh, you know, Texas is not the ruby red state that it once was, and so even though former President Trump won the state of Texas, 
uh, in the 2020 election. He only won by five and a half points at a time where I believe turnout was at a near record high of 66 percent. And so what what Republicans are seeing, you know, with very clear eyes is that the trajectory of the state is changing and the trend lines are changing in a different direction. Uh, And there's a younger, diverse set of voters coming in uh, to the voting system and they're voting for different candidates. And so when when you can't change minds with good voter persuasion, like the good old days, whenever you would put your platform out there and do an honest debate and win over win over votes you know, based on on your record, uh, if you can't change minds with voter persuasion, then I guess you have to change rules so that you can maintain an electoral advantage. And 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 if that's the case, I mean, there really is no kind of dialogue you can have with Republicans when it comes to you know, what they see to be uh, their political future and and whether or not they will continue to be, you know, the majority party in the state. So if Texans who are listening to this want to get involved um, in the fight over this bill, if they want to support your cause um, to make it easier for Texans to vote or at least stop efforts to make it harder for Texans to vote, how can they do that and what should they do to become involved? Well, I mean, you know, obviously listening to this pod is probably a great start, right? So uh, staying engaged with the pod, uh, keep up on the information. Uh, I have a pretty active social media uh, feed. So for people who, you know, uh, you know, follow Twitter, uh, I'm at TMFTX is my handle. You can stay up to date as to what's happening up here. Uh, for folks who, who want to you know, who, who want to get involved. I mean, you know, there are a number of things happening across the state uh, where you can you can show, you know, your, your willingness to support this cause. Uh, beginning, uh, I believe, this weekend, there's going to be a march uh, from Georgetown, Texas, to the state capitol uh, led by Bishop Barber from North Carolina. And, and he he started this poor people's march back in North Carolina when when voter suppression laws were being considered in the state of North Carolina, he is now organized um, through, you know, through church congregations, a four-day march to the state capitol. Uh, so that's, you can support that, you know, by, by putting in a few miles uh, for folks who want to make, uh, you know, donations. We, you know, we have a, a number of places to go. I have an effort called texaswalkout.com where you can make a contribution of, when we first arrived here in in Washington, I used my campaign credit card to pay for the, you know, to pay for the hotel rooms. And so, if you can imagine uh, seventy hotel rooms every single day, you know, our expenses add up. We're, we're, we are we are funding this uh, through private donations through our campaign accounts. This is not taxpayer funded. Uh, this is this is really coming from the from you know from from the men and women of the Democratic Caucus. And so. You know, those are a few ways that you can support. And then, you know, there's always just keep us in your thoughts, you know, pray for us, pray for our families. Uh, you know, all of us here are are, are husbands and wives and fathers, mothers. Uh, some people are employees and, and they work for somebody and their job may be on the line because they've been gone for so long. There are folks like me who own, you know, our own businesses. And, you know, just like anybody who has a business, it, it doesn't run as well when you're not there. Uh, and so there's all kinds of sacrifices being made. Uh, yesterday was my was my youngest daughter's birthday, and she'll only turn 11 years. You know, she'll only turn 11 once. 
Uh, and I miss that. Uh, and, and, you know, when I spoke to her, I mean, I, I, I try to get her to understand, you know, just where we are in this moment in our nation's history and, and how dad, you know, is here uh, to make things better. Uh, and, and uh, but of course, you know, I know that she would want me at home eating birthday cake with her. So we all have our own sacrifices. And so just, you know, send us your well wishes and, and send us your prayers. Well, Representative, we appreciate you being with us and uh, we wish you all the best. 